What is up, guys? Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to shout out the Twitter real quick, as I've been doing quite a bit recently. But the Twitter is at first down RD Pod. Again, that's at first down RD Pod. If you look up first down rundown podcast, just as three different words that should also work, you should find us. It's the same logo as we have as our cover art. So yeah, if you're looking for our cover art or our, our profile picture or whatever, it's the same thing. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's get right into it. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, June 14th. Time is flying by, baby. But we've well, actually, the NBA finals are flying by, too. Jeez. I mean, we've gotten three games since we did our last topic on the NBA in this podcast. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about kind of games three through five. We're going to be talking about game five in specific and kind of how it went down, because that was definitely the most pivotal game up until this point. It usually is. I mean, they always say that game five is pretty much who wins the series. And in this case, it probably will turn out that way. But we're going to be talking about the odds basically coming into the series and the odds after games three and four and how they changed drastically, basically based on who won those games. So it's Pretty interesting there. We're going to be talking some specifics about betting. And then we're going to move on to NHL after that. We're going to be giving a little Stanley Cup Finals preview. And then after that, we're going to be having uh, an NFL topic. It's going to be pretty much just kind of like a what everybody wants to hear, you know, Super Bowl predictions, everything like that, kind of getting ready for the season to to start soon, sort of. I mean, it's there's still like two weeks, I mean, two months until the season actually starts, but we're getting into it because it's football and we love football. And then I think Matt has a little bit of a U.S. Open preview at the end here, and then we'll be donezo. So, yeah, Matt, how are you doing? I mean, what are we doing? Are you hearing all this content? What are we like? Come on, dude. This is amazing. It's a great time to be a sports fan. There's basically the most important series games of, you know, of, of the two other most popular sports are happening right before our eyes. Obviously, we got in toxin football and one of the four biggest golf weeks of the year starts on Thursday. So, yeah, we're going to be covering all of it. And it's good to be back on a Tuesday episode because last two weeks, well, last week I wasn't here because I was uh, traveling for work. So and then the Tuesday before that I was here. Um, but, yeah, the Tuesday episodes are the best. I just feel like it's like at the beginning of the week, you can just listen to it throughout the week. There's just a lot of stuff going on. There's topics that are relevant for the previous day, that day, the next couple of days, the whole weekend, whatever. Um, so, yeah, so we have a, a smattering of topics to get to covering all the major sports uh, in uh, in the, you know, in the world, except for baseball. I think we got to we got to sh- we got to do that this Saturday. I know no, as much dude. as you don't want to, we have to do no. it. We got to show some love to baseball. We just have it all, and they're almost halfway through the season. So, well, actually, now they're only like a fourth of the way through the season. So maybe we can. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> there you go. Um, no, I think I think we're I think we got to do some some uh, some baseball update. Random crazy baseball stat: um, the New York Mets and the New York Yankees were the first teams to hit forty wins, and I think that's the first time that's ever happened. But it's kind of crazy because it's like the two New York teams, and they've always like been disappointing, and it'll probably happen again this year. But anyway, that's your baseball talk for today. That was like twenty seconds, so I think Hayden will be satisfied with that. Let's get into Game yeah. Five of the NBA, though. 
Alrighty. So after game three, depending on which book you were looking at, the Celtics were about minus 230 odds to become champions, which was it's very high, honestly. When you have that much of a series left, I mean, after game three, there's still four games left. The Celtics were up. Yes, they were up 2-1 at that point, but there was still a lot left to play. There was still one left to play in Boston. Then you had two, obviously, left to play in, in Golden State, assuming it went to a game seven. But yet, Boston still had minus 230 odds to become champions, which was, yeah, a, again, kind of a, a high number there. But after game four, obviously, the Warriors won game four in uh, in Boston, which was a pretty pivotal game as well. Not as pivotal as game five, but still Warriors made it. 2-2 at that point, and they totally flipped the script big time, and they actually ended up earning minus 150 odds to win the title after that. So I don't know what – I think the the Warriors are – they were probably like plus 180, 190 to win, the, to win the title after they lost game three, and then after they won game four, they went all the way over to the minus side, minus 150 to, to win the title. And that's, that's more of a, a moderate favorite. To, to win the title after, you know, four games being played. So I'm going to ask this question to Matt and I'm going to kind of give some, give some stats beforehand to kind of preface this question, because I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but so the Celtics were favored so heavily coming into the series ESPN's basketball power index coming into the series when there was no games played yet, they gave the Celtics an 86% chance to win the finals coming in and I, I think that 86 percent it doesn't really register in your I, for me at least it didn't really register into my head until I saw or until I kind of figured out the fact that that means that the Warriors only had a 14 percent chance of winning the finals and you're talking about a Golden State team which you know they can get hot any game and they're going to win that game basically almost you know almost guaranteed so that was just super surprising to see that coming into an NBA finals series where it's supposed to be the two best teams in the NBA and the Celtics have an 86% chance to win. That's pretty crazy. Now that sounds pretty crazy, but if you guys follow kind of, you know, any basketball analytics, there's this one website called 538 and it's a bunch of, it takes a bunch of statistics and analytics into account and it gives a percentage chance for, and you could do this all, you know, all throughout the playoffs, you could look at all the playoff matchups and see, Okay, well, who's supposed to win this matchup? Who's supposed to which team has a has the best chance of winning the finals? The Celtics have had the best chance of to win the finals all throughout the playoffs. But to, the crazy part was that literally during like I think it was after game one of the Nets of the Boston and Brooklyn Nets series, the Celtics had a 42 percent chance to win the finals according to 538. And, and I was like my roommate Will was showing me all this stuff because we were still at, at school at this point. And my roommate, Will, you know, he was showing me all these analytics on on 538 and everything. And I was like, dude, this is this is stupid. Just stop showing me this. It's this is not going to happen. Now, at the time, I thought that the Nets were going to pull off that series and they ended up not doing that. And they ended up getting swept. And I was like, OK, maybe 538 actually has some sense to it. But yeah, that's the, the crazy part about this whole thing is that the Celtics have had an insane amount of favoritism basically by all analytics leading up until this final series and now we're sitting at the Warriors are up three two and the Celtics are are looking at a at a two-game stretch which they have to win in order to to take the series and so 
I guess the question I'm going to ask to Matt here is, and again, he's, he's kind of more experienced in the field of betting than I am. And so he, you know, he may know some things that I don't, but while odds change all the time throughout playoff series, it seems that maybe the sports books have been too high on the Celtics leading up until this point. And I mean, now they aren't because they don't have any reason to, but then again, you gotta, you gotta just think why have the sports books been so high on the Celtics leading up to this series and it really looked like they were going to win, especially after game three, when they won, they went up to one and they, they had minus 230 odds to win the whole thing. Why have the odds been changing so much? There's been so much variability between, okay, Celtics are going to win. No, wait, the Warriors are going to win. We're going to, you know, heavily favorite the Celtics here. And then, okay, no, we're going to switch it after one game. And we're going to basically change the whole tide. Um, based on one game, why has this been happening in this final series, according to Matt Bozar? Well, it's because when sportsbooks are setting their lines for betting, they're not setting the lines based on what they project to happen. They're setting the lines based on what, how much money they think will come in on either side. So that's kind of the delineation factor when we're talking about like, you know, what, what's, what's the difference between being favored to win a series versus kind of the, the statistical analysis behind that favoritism, um, which Hayden obviously, you know, outlined via the ESPN uh, BPI basketball, basketball power index, as well as the 538 metrics, those were heavily favoring the Celtics. Okay. And, and rightly so we saw after the first, again, I said Way back when, before the playoffs even started, I said the Warriors were going to win the championship, okay? I didn't expect the Celtics to play as, as well as they did and, and to do, you know, to have this type of finish. But they've been the popular choice by way of the, you know, the, the statistical analysis that, uh, you know, that, that that is out there, whether that be the BPI, whether that be 538.com. And so you, you, you kind of think about it as like, well, what happened? Well, you think about where we were after game three, okay? So that was Boston wins game one in... In Golden State, Golden State comes back. They beat Boston by like thirty in Game Two. Not even, but we we expected that, right? It's Golden State at home. It's in the finals. It's definitely like they're gonna, you know, they're gonna bounce back. Boston beats Golden State in Game Three in Boston, right? A great game. They they you know pretty handily beat Golden State in that game too. And you're thinking after that game, like, all right, so what do we have here so far? We have the Celtics who you know stole a game in Golden State who then got their butts beat, but everybody, every team in the entire league would have gotten their butts kicked uh, in game two after, you know, stealing game one on the road in Golden State. And then game three, where they, again, play really well, play as a team. Jason Tatum didn't even play that great, and they still beat the Warriors at home in Boston. And the reason that the odds were favored so heavily for them is because you got to think about it. As much as we say that game five is like the pivotal, you know, the, the pivotal game, which I would say, yes, it is probably the most pivotal game out of, you know, out of all the games of a seven-game seven series. Game four is like extremely important for the results of what happens in that game because think about what happened okay going into game four you have the celtics playing at home and if they just win that game again obviously it took a miracle in or not a miracle but uh, uh a great game from steph he's done that plenty of times before but you know he had a game and and, and golden state won that game four in 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 boston but think about if the celtics had won that game they would be up three to one When's the last time we saw a three to one lead, you know, and, and that team ended up losing? Well, it was actually 2016 Golden State Warriors. 
never mind that. But that's kind of why we see the betting lines, you know, favor a team so heavily is like, well, dude, if we're going into game four and the Celtics just realistically just do what they have to do, right? Do what they're supposed to do, win a game on their home court in the NBA finals, which they've been proven to do because they already stole a game, game one anyway. So that's kind of what we're seeing here is like, if, if you're the sports book and you know, you're going to be taking bets from people, are you going to put the Celtics at like minus one ten to win the finals? When like, if they win this next game, they're going up three, one, and it would take like an actual miracle, um, you know, for them to eventually lose that series. No, you're going to place them as very heavy favorites. Now, where this flips around is at the result of game four, which is obviously the Warriors winning in Boston. So now the series is tied 2-2. But if you remember, the Golden State Warriors have home court advantage in this series because they had more regular season wins. Okay, so the Warriors had 53 wins in the regular season and the Celtics had 51, which means that when they meet in the finals, despite the Warriors being the three seed and the Celtics being the two seed, the Warriors have home court advantage. And that means that they play their home games first, but they also have game seven or games five and seven at home. So realistically, if this series goes to seven games, the Warriors are playing four home games and the Celtics are playing three home games. And so that's why, you know, this this whole home court advantage thing matters so much, especially in basketball. And that's exactly what we saw happen as a result of game five. Right. So before, you know, before game four, after game three, we're sitting there going into game four. It's like, okay, game four in Boston, if they win this game, it's basically over. They're going to go up three one. Well, then what happened? Golden State upset Boston in Boston. Then they go to Golden State and they put the beating on Boston last night in game five. So now the, so now the Warriors are up three to two. And I'm sure they're heavily, heavily favored now. And so it, it, it just it makes sense based on obviously the odds can shift very heavily. But it's like you got to think about the amount of like, you know, the amount of crazy circumstances that had to happen to, to kind of get the odds where they were in the first place. Then think about the crazy amount of things that had to happen for it to shift so much in the second place. And realistically, all that stuff happened. Nobody would have expected Boston to, to steal a game in Golden State. Right. But they did. And it was game yeah. one. Then you come back on the flip side and you say, all right, well, Boston hasn't even lost two games in a row the entire playoffs so far. And they're playing two games at home. They're a better team than the Warriors. That was the that was the storyline was after game three. Look, Boston stole one in, you know, in Golden State. Now they're home in Boston. They, you know, they crushed them in game three. And so, you know, they're, they're clearly just the better team. And it's like. Right. You have Steph. Okay, great. You know, the Warriors are, you know, are are still kind of a shell of themselves of what their former team was and whatever, whatever that may be. But it didn't actually work out that way. And there's been a lot of talk, too, about the Celtics kind of just shooting themselves in the foot whenever they have a prime opportunity to actually just do what they need to do to get stuff done and, and actually, you know, be in a position to actually win this thing. Right. And they still haven't because here we are and they're down three, two, and they're going to have to win two games in a row. One of them being a game on the road in game seven in order to even, you know, win the finals so that's kind of the delineation of where we're seeing the betting line shift um and and again it's not because it's not because like a certain team has a certain percentage chance to win it's because if you're the sports book you don't want to overextend yourself and set a bad line and then have a bump have a bunch of people come in and bet the celtics over and over and over again just because they're you know just because it's this tied series going back to golden state right you want to protect yourself and therefore you're going to set the golden state as a favorite because then that way, you know, the public is going to start betting on Golden State because at that point, if your series is tied two to two, Golden State has two more home games and Boston has one more home game, then you're going to think, okay, well, probably the public is going to assume, well, Golden State's probably going to win. So you have to favor them now. So that's kind of how it works out when in terms of the betting lines. But these, these, you know, the, the basketball power index and the 538 stuff has been very, very interesting. Now, I will say as much as it was crazy how 
well that 538 and, and, and this whole BPI thing pro- has projected the Celtics so far in this playoffs, they usually have one team that's like the analytics absolutely loves that team. It, you know, it, it's, it's far and away, like this team's going to win the finals and it really never happens. Right. I think this is the first time that it's really been like, Holy crap. Like, you know, this team was extremely favored for no reason. We didn't even think they should have been because especially because of how they played in the first half of the regular season. And now they're ending up in a situation where they're, you know, heavily favored to win the finals in the first round of the playoffs. Hayden said after, you know, after game one against the nets, well, then you think about it and you're like, well, here they are in the finals. Again, it's just so much had to happen to get there. You think about it. They had to go to game seven against the Bucks, right? It, you know, with Giannis, like the whole deal, game seven against the Heat, Jimmy Butler, you know, putting up his best performance of his entire life. And the Celtics got through all that. So in terms of the analytics and the statistics, you're thinking about this and you're like, dude, the Celtics are on an absolute roll here. And realistically, they're playing a team that's regular season wins wise, basically just the same amount of talent level. And you think about it too, in terms of a playoff caliber or, you know, playoff run here, the Warriors beat who they beat in the first round? I forget who they even played. They have the three seed. They played the six seed. Oh, the, the Nuggets. I mean, the Nuggets didn't have a chance because Jamal Murray's been out, right? And then you, and then you, they, then they played the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies have no playoff experience. They're going to be good pretty soon, but you know they were never going to beat the Warriors. And then the Mavericks, who had completely, you know, against all odds, upset the Phoenix Suns. So essentially, the Warriors had this kind of relatively easy run to the finals, where the Celtics had an absolutely grueling run to the Celtics run to the finals. And if they're able to just kind of continue somewhat of what you know how well they played in order to get them there in the first place then they have a pretty good chance to win and the analytics were backing them up so they were the number one defensive team in the you know in the the whole playoff so far um by a mile offensively they were like okay but their win margin was really good which looks good in the you know looks good in the metrics as well um whereas golden state was kind of like you know they would crush some teams but then they also have they have like that 50 point loss to memphis and like the random game four whatever that was that type of stuff right so you you look at this team the team's overall kind of coming into the playoffs and you think okay well obviously who's gonna not pick the cell they're, they're sorry who's gonna not pick the warriors to win they have clay thompson steph curry they've been here before they won three championships in five years all that stuff i get it but analytics wise percentages wise you can kind of understand why the Celtics were favored because they were playing so well on defense and they played against the, the Heat and the, and the Bucks, which are way better teams and, 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 you know, way better competition than what the Warriors faced on their road to the finals. Um, and so I think that all kind of worked out as to where the percentages, you know, the BPI and, and 538 had the Celtics as such high favorites or, or a great, per- again, I, it's, that's why it's tough to say kind of, you know, you're, you're delineating between the, 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 you know, being favored to win a series versus the percentage chance that you have to win the series. So as it mentioned, the Celtics had an 86% chance to win the series, but they were like minus 120 in the betting odds, which essentially is like a 55% chance to win. Right. So it's like, where is that extra 30% coming from? Well, again, to go back to my last point, the sports books are not going to set the favorite or the Celtics as like minus 250 favorites before the game even begins or before the first game begins despite the fact that that 86%, that would warrant like a minus 250, minus 300 betting line. But then you'd have to put the Warriors at like plus 200. And who's taking like, who's going to be betting? Who's going to be laying minus 300 odds on the Celtics to beat, you know, a Warriors team who has won three of the last five championships. They have the entire team back and, and, you know, the splash bars and everything like that. Like, So that's kind of where you get this difference is the sports books have to kind of protect themselves from the amount of money that they would have to hand out. And now it's looking like the Warriors are going to win the championship. So to begin the play to, to begin the NBA finals, 
if the sportsbooks had gone along with the, with the statistics and set them, you know, set the Celtics at like minus 250 or whatever to kind of align with the 86% win percentage prognostications that the BPI set, well, then you're going to be, a t- you're going to have a ton of money come in on the Warriors. And, you know, as we're looking at it right now, if the Warriors end up winning, you know, then you'll pretty much be able, you're, you're going to have to pay out a lot of people, a lot of money. And so it's kind of like, the, the sports books essentially are, are just set in the lines based on how much money they think will come in on a certain team at a certain betting line, regardless of kind of what the statistics say and kind of the percentage chances of, of, of the VPI, BPI and all that. Hayden, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, there's a lot to lot to indulge on there, but yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense because and again, like Matt has said, it's it's all about money for the sports books and again it's like yeah an 86 percent chance to win the series coming into the series would warrant you know so so much heavily favorited odds i guess is, is what i'm trying to say but then they're not gonna be favored that heavily because yeah because they need to make money and if they don't you know it, it's it's all about timing too because again it's a seven game series that spans across you know, up, up, basically up to like two weeks. And so if you're not going to, well, actually, no, seven game series would probably last even longer than that. Cause that's, I mean, that's assuming two games per game, or at least two games per game. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very long time process. And so you have to take that into account because people are going to be betting before game one, before game two, before game three. Right. I mean, it's, it's going to be, yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into that. But with that being said, now that we cover games three and four, let's cover game five, but not in the sense of betting odds, more in the sense of just what were the Celtics doing? I'll give you a couple stats here to kind of jog your mind a bit about or remind you a bit about what you guys watched last night. Again, last night, because last night was Monday night to us, but to you, it might be Tuesday night, whatever. But yeah, we're just going to we're just going to go with that because the Celtics absolutely sucked they were they were so bad now you could argue that golden state was a little bit worse in terms of shooting and that's what that's what they do best right we saw steph curry he was 0 for 9 it's the first time or 0 for 9 from three it's the first time he hasn't made a three-pointer in a game since november of 2018 it's the first time he's never made a three it's the first it's the first time in a playoff game that he hasn't made a three-pointer ever which is crazy because, I mean, he's played in a lot of playoff games. Let's be honest. I mean, he's been through a lot of series and that, like Matt said, in that stretch where they won three championships in five years. And obviously now he's he's played a lot just this season, too. So, I mean, he's he's obviously when you think of Steph Curry, you think of three pointers and he was 0 for 9 last night. And he he contributed in other ways. I mean, he had a, a good amount of rebounds, I think, too. But overall, it was it was the Warriors not dominating down low, but it was the Warriors who scored 50 points in the paint to uh, as compared to the Celtics, 36 points in the paint. That's something that the Celtics should be. That's a category that the Celtics should be winning in every single game against the Warriors. That's what they do better than the Warriors every single game. That's what you can pretty much put money on and guarantee that they do every single game. Yet the Warriors outscored them by 14 points in the paint last night. Not only that, the Celtics had 18 turnovers to Golden State's six turnovers, which the Celtics, I mean, you can you can basically make like you can make a chart right now if, if for all of you stats majors. I know Will, shout out Will, he's he's a stats, he's a stats major. So he's definitely looking at this. But if if you like graphs, right, you could literally make 
almost a perfect correlation chart to Boston Celtics turnovers and losses. So basically like anytime they have more than 15 turnovers, which has actually happened quite a bit. I think it's happened. It's happened in every single game, this final series that they've lost all three, all three of their losses in this series. I think they've had 16 or more turnovers in those games. It's, it's almost a direct correlation. And it's one of those things where if you, I mean, if you have 12 more turnovers in the game than your opponent and they only lost by 10, I mean, they were, they were kind of still in it. They definitely could have, won this game if they if they didn't commit as many turnovers i think the warriors had 22 points off of turnovers so basically i mean you subtract even just half of that they've got only 11 points off of turnovers and you give those 11 points back to well you take those 11 points away from golden state the Warriors. i mean the the celtics win that game so yeah it it was just it was such a such a weird game to watch last night, honestly. Um, you know, Jason Tatum seemed like he kind of found his stride last night and then Jalen Brown fell apart. So it, it just seemed like it seemed like this whole series that the Celtics just haven't really had a full team. They haven't really had a cohesive unit that has been able to, I mean, I mean, you could argue game three, um, that first game in Boston that they really just kind of beat down on the Warriors that you could argue that that was, a game when they kind of, when they looked at their best, but again, Jason Tatum was, I think that was the game that, that he like absolutely sucked in. So, so again, they, they haven't really had a cohesive, cohesive unit this whole series. And I think that's kind of what the BPI rankings and the BPI ratings that ESPN does. Um, I think that's kind of what they were looking at is like as a full, you know, as, as a team, when this team is playing well, the Celtics are a better team than the Warriors because team basketball is going to win in the end. And the Celtics have better team basketball than, than the Warriors do. But again, it doesn't help when you basically have half a team out there when, you know, half of your team is doing well. And then the other half is not doing well at all. The Celtics already are also went uh, 67% from the free throw line, which kind of sucks. I was going to mention their three point percentage and kind of their three pointers. Um, or lack thereof at the beginning of the game. I think it was like the whole first half basically, or maybe it was, maybe it was towards the end of the second quarter when they actually made their, their first, uh, no, it was, it was like, yeah, it was like halfway through the second quarter when they, when they actually started making three pointers. But up until that point, they started off 0 for 12 from three point land. And then they actually made their next eight. So they went eight for eight after they went 0 for 12, which is pretty cool to see, but yeah, that it's just, uh, it, it was a really bad game for the Celtics and, the Warriors were able to capitalize, but it's games like these against the Warriors where Steph Curry only has, or where Steph Curry goes 0 for 9 from 3. As a Celtic player, you should be thinking, okay, well, we got to capitalize on this. And they didn't. And that was that was the big problem that happened last night. No, they did not. Yeah. I mean, and it's even going a little bit deeper in the stats there, Hayden did a good job of kind of outlining it, even from the three point, the three point range in general. I mean, Hayden said, he, right, the Celtics missed their first. 12 and they made their next eight so they at least were a little bit streaky and we saw that play out because the Celtics were down 12 at halftime and they start the third quarter with a 10-0 run and then they're down you know down two points they actually took the lead um I think because they made you know kept making threes and you're like holy crap you know this this team came all the way back they were down by 16 at one point and now they're now they're winning the game and then it just kind of was like from there they were kind of back to normal, right? So you got to think about it in terms of like for the shot, if they were going to make that many shots in a row, if they were going to, you know, if, if, if it was going to be, you know, that 
much of a, you know, an amazing performance for that period of the third quarter. You only have to like, and they were tied. So they were tied after all of that. And it's like, you're only going to have to keep that up and do even more because in, you know, if, if you want to kind of, you know, continue on uh, in, in order to win this game. So just a little bit of a deep dive here into the stats a little bit more. So the Celtics from three point, the, the Celtics shot 11 of 32 um, and the Warriors shot nine for 40. So yeah. Celtics shot 34% from three and the, and the, and the Warriors shot 22%. And so it's like the, the thing that the Warriors t- and, and everybody's been criticizing, like, all the, all, all the Warriors can do is shoot three. Like that's the only way that they're going to be able to win. If they're not making their shots, they're not going to win. Well, here you go. Here's the perfect example. Not only is it a perfect example because they shot way worse from three than the Celtics did, but as Hayden pointed out as well, Steph Curry had the worst game of potentially of, you know, the last five years of him playing basketball. Um, and it's like, this is the one game, and you even saw watching the game, like there were times when he would, you know, he would come off the dribble, he'd be, you know, he'd be taking 30 footers, and he just wasn't, it looked like he wasn't sure, it looks like he was doubting himself a little bit, like he would put the shot up, and then he'd immediately run to the basket because he knew it wasn't going in, there was another one where he came off the high ball screen, and Grant Williams, like behind him, and like, you know, basically just blocked his shot from behind, and you're like, what's going on with this guy, and it looked like, it literally looked like he was like, you know, he was rattled. And so it's like for the Celtics, you have to be kicking yourself because this is the one game that you got in this guy's head. He killed you in game four. He was the reason, the only reason the Warriors are even still alive in this series, because otherwise the Warrior or the Celtics would have a three, one series lead. This guy is the most important to shut down. Like you have to do this. And that's exactly what they did. And he didn't play well. And it's like, that's the one time that you have to do it. Hayden said it, you have to capitalize because you were somehow able to get in the head of the best player on the court. And when you do that, most of the time you win this time, it just didn't happen because I think that the Warriors are proving now that they're, they're more than Steph Curry. I think that, you know, weirdly enough, this, this kind of random assortment of guys who you wouldn't think would be good. The the play style, the way it works, everything just, just makes, you know, things just work for this team. And I think that it's just different um, for, it's also different for a team that has been here before and done it and won the championships. You know, obviously that goes without saying, um, but, but yeah, you just end up in those situations where, you know, Robert Williams is down low. He's absolutely eating, you know, you get the ball back on offense and Tatum is just clanking shots off the rim. Now he had actually had a great game yesterday. Um, but, but right. You know, all the turn, I think there's a stat hidden. You mentioned the turnovers earlier. I think, in this playoffs, I think Jason Tatum is already, he like already broke the record for the most turnovers in like NBA postseason history for one player. Like this year, yeah. this play, and it's been, and it's through yeah. five games in the NBA finals. We're not even yeah. done with it yet. And he's already broken the record for most turnovers. So it's like, and obviously that's another kind of aspect of the Warriors game that I think is very much underlooked is their defense is they're just scrappy. They're running around, they're pesky. They're going to defend you and they're going to at least get in your way, right? Like probably the, the Warriors worst defensive player, I would, you know, either Jordan Poole or Steph Curry, but Steph Curry's always been known to kind of just, you know, he, he's not going, his, his advantage is on, is on offense, but he gets in there. He puts his body in front of guys. He'll, he'll, you know, he'll go down. If some guy's taking him to the rack, he's not just going to watch someone run by him. And if he has the opportunity, to steal he will because he's up there at the top of the key so I think that all of those in combination it, it almost is like the Celtics were, were just assuming that 
because they stole a game and they stole game one in Golden State. They had a 2-1 series lead and everybody's just like, the Celtics are just a better team. The Warriors don't have a chance. Steph Curry, you know, the, the only reason the Warriors will be able to win is Steph Curry. And it's like, they just become very, I think they just became very like one-minded or one laser focused on, on one thing. Um, and, and and that causes problems when you realize, oh shoot, you know, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole other aspect to this Warriors team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Game six is on, I think on Friday. Thursday or Friday I think it's I think it's Thursday yeah so it'll be interesting to see what happens game six on Thursday um it'll be in Boston so plenty of plenty of opportunity for Boston to right the ship uh from what happened in game five and then obviously go back home in Boston and and take game six send it to a game seven which is that that's the best you can't you can't do better than a game seven NBA finals um as we've learned which actually the Warriors have been, have participated in many an NBA finals game seven uh over there over their kind of dynastic run here over the last better part of 10 years so let's transition to the other sport that has a championship uh series starting this week and that's the NA NHL. So for the Stanley Cup finals preview, obviously we have the Avalanche from the West and the Lightning from the East. We're just kind of going to go how, go over how the finals are, you know, kind of going to turn out, what we think is going to happen, what some things to look out for, what we think, you know, it's important for each team to keep in mind, and realistically, who's going to win it all. So kind of, I know those are a bunch of questions, Hayden, but but give us your best take on the preview for the NHL Stanley Cup final, who you think is, you know, who you think is an important, you know, important pieces for each team, what each team's, uh, you know, advantages are, what each team's disadvantages are, and overall, who you think is going to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, well, I think first, the first thing to delineate here is how much rest the Avalanche have gotten and how much rest the Lightning have gotten. So the Avalanche, so, well, the series starts tomorrow. So it's it's Wednesday at 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern is when the game one starts. And at that point, the Avalanche will have gotten, have they will have had <laughs> eight days of rest. And the Lightning, I think, will have had three days of rest at that point. So pretty big difference there. I mean, it's it's almost a week difference of rest. And for, and I think, I mean, I've said it in the past. For the Avalanche, rest is like the one thing that they will most likely thrive off of. A lot of times, you hear the you hear the whole kind of like, well, rest can either be you know a blessing or a curse. And a lot of times, it is a curse. I think it's going to be an absolute blessing for the avalanche because they play so fast, literally just because of their play style. They're the fastest playing team in the NHL. I think I've said it before that they have like three of the fastest guys in the NHL um, on their team. And so when you play like that, and when you play as fast as they do, you need rest and rest will definitely, will definitely be, you know, a blessing for you. And so I'd be really surprised to see them come out there and and be like rusty in any way. I don't think that they will be. I mean, they've had a pretty they've had a pretty easy road to the playoffs to this point. And I think that's kind of my second point here is that the West and the East in the NHL this year is well, it was kind of like what we saw in the NBA. The West was not really as good. They were kind of lackluster in terms of like really good teams. And then the East just had a bunch of powerhouses. They had, you know, well, the Panthers were the one seed and they weren't even really, I mean, when you think of teams in the East, they're not even really a team that you think of uh, as being good, right? You think of the Lightning, you know, you had the Lightning, you had the Maple Leafs who have been pretty good for the past couple of years. And they, we thought that this was their year and they ended up not being able to do it. You had the Rangers who had a breakout year in the playoffs this year. Like, it, I mean, they have a bunch of, a bunch of teams that were kind of underdogs coming into the playoffs, but then showed during the playoffs that they could actually do it. 
and that they could actually go far. Um, and so you've got a lot of teams in the East that are very good. And then you've got the teams in the West that they might've been good, but it's, it's almost like the avalanche made them look bad in a sense. So I think that to this point, the, the lightning have definitely had the tougher run to the playoffs. They've actually been down in every single one of their series, I think, and uh, up until this point. And so there's just, you know, there, there's just kind of a, a, a cool stat for you saying that if they do get down in the finals, they will probably be able to come back. And so I don't know. I think that the avalanche, like, here's the thing. So I, the avalanche were my pick the whole entire playoff series. Well, I guess all of the playoff run until now I've had the avalanche winning it. And I, I think I had the Maple Leafs in the, in the championship with them. And so obviously the Maple Leafs played the lightning in the first series and, you know, they ended up losing that series, but I think that's kind of where we, where we're at now with this whole thing is like, I have my champion still there. And I think that the lightning are, are, you know, probably a, a better opponent or a tougher opponent for the avalanche than the Maple Leafs would have been because the lightning have showed us, you know, up until this point that they're pretty much the same team as they've been the past two years when they've won it all. But I don't know. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to pick a winner. I guess if I had to pick a winner here, um, it, it would probably be, it would probably be the avalanche just because, it would be almost bad for the NHL if the if the Lightning won for a third time in a row. I don't know how that would kind of go over. I don't know if NHL fans would be mad about that. Um, you know, obviously fans that aren't Lightning fans. But one thing that I do think insanely important for the for the Lightning is stopping the Avalanche from scoring. And again, that's kind of you know that's kind of like trivial at this point because obviously that's what you want to do in any game any sports game really but the avalanche have i think i think so far in the playoffs i'm looking at the stat right now i don't know exactly if this is for the playoffs or if this is for the whole season i think it's only for the playoffs but the avalanche have been averaging 4.6 goals per game which is insane i mean that's well you know that's first in the nhl and then the lightning have been i've been scoring just about three per game so that's you know a goal and a half of a difference yeah that, that's pretty crazy to think about um in terms of goals allowed they're pretty much the same the the avalanche have allowed 2.86 goals per game and then um the lightning have allowed 2.41 goals per game so there's only about a 0.4 goal difference there which is pretty little compared to the 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 goals for but yeah i mean it would it would pretty much my advice to the lightning would be to obviously andre vasilevsky is not going to have i don't think he's going to have much of a problem with um you know with saving goals it's just kind of limiting the amount of shots that the avalanche do get on goal because if you if you allow the avalanche to get a lot of shots on goal they're gonna i mean they're gonna score at least some of them. So I think it would probably be limiting the amount of shots for the avalanche. Um, and then I guess for the, for the, the lightning, it's really just kind of getting shots on goal. That's going to be your goal and kind of keeping the puck away from the avalanche because the avalanche do score so fast. So I don't know. Again, I, I think that the avalanche will probably end up winning because they have the analytics on, analytics on their side, but I wouldn't be surprised if lightning came out with a third in a row. Yeah, and it's it's tough because I'm almost kind of rooting for the three-peat. I know I'm, like, usually an underdog guy, but, like, I, I really like the, the idea that 
the Lightning can kind of just come out of nowhere and just end up winning three straight Stanley Cups, which I don't even know when the last time there was a three-peat uh, in, in, in hockey. But seriously, I mean, the Avalanche deserve this, dude. They have been the like the number one seed in the West for the last two years in a row. Um, they, I think two years ago, they lost in the first round last year. I think they lost, they lost in the Western conference finals this year. They finally put it all together. You know, they're here to do it. They're favored, which, you know, we're not surprised by that. And, and as Hayden kind of, you know, went over there, I think he did a great job kind of out, outlining the statistics, the, you know, the, just the way that the teams match up it really does favor the avalanche here. Um, and so I think that, you know, as much as I, it would be cool to see a three-peat happen from the lightning here, I'm just not exactly sure. I think that, yeah, I think, I think the avalanche are favored for a reason. I think they probably will win. Um, and, and, and Hayden really hit the nail on the head. It's, it's just, it's all about tempo. It's one of those things that, you know, you, you see a lot of times in basketball where, you know, if a team plays in a certain, you know, certain tempo, certain speed level, if they can kind of get the other team to play at the same tempo as them, usually that's a really big advantage. We see all the time, you know, there, there could be teams that play really fast. If they're always on the fast break and they're always, you know, running back and forth down the court, you're going to tire out the other team. They're not going to be able to make smart decisions. They're going to, you know, they're going to turn the ball over, whatever, you know, we see like a full court press and stuff like that. Like that's type, that's examples of things where you're really putting the other team at a disadvantage because they're not able to play in the way that they, in the way that they want to. And the same is, 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 is true on defense, right? So we always say, you know, obviously, you know, UBA basketball is known for their defense, UVA basketball games, you know, the, the, the total score is always like 30 or 40 points under the average of what a, you know, a, a, a college basketball game uh, score should be, you know, teams are scored in the forties and fifties, but that's just because the way that UVA plays defense, they play a pack line defense. It's very hard to get past. It's very hard to shoot out of. And what usually happens is UVA wins because they're able to slow the opponent opponent down that, you know, UVA is going to be able to get the other team, a little bit out of whack, get them on their tempo, which is to play extremely slow. And then, you know, you can kind of use that to your advantage and, uh, you know, end up winning the game that way. And so I think in the same way that, you know, that that's true in basketball, I think it's also true in hockey, especially when you have a team like the Avalanche, who, as Hayden mentioned, the guys are just fast. Obviously they're very talented, you know, shooting wise, defending, like, yes, that's just, you know, that's a baseline for all of hockey, but you just watch these games and the guys are just flying down the ice. Even the defensemen, they're just, they're like running in, in skates. Like seriously, you watch them and they're like, like literally pumping their arms and like their, you know, their, their legs are moving in a running motion and they're still on, you know, on, on blades on ice. It's like, these guys are insane. So with that in mind and the fact that they play so fast and they score so much, it's like, it's almost the, it's almost the, you know, you, you kind of get the same sense as to like the avalanche are going to be putting up goals and we know they're going to be putting up goals and it's kind of going to be up to the lightning to see if they can put up goals at the same pace that the avalanche do. I think the one thing that'll be interesting that will kind of just probably set the tone or at least the tempo is to determine whether or not, Andre Vasilevsky, as, as Hayden mentioned, will be able to bring the tempo back to the lightning side. And that is essentially if he plays his butt off and the avalanche are not able to score very much and it's a, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a rather low scoring game. I think that's good for the lightning because that gives them opportunities on the other side. And I think that Andre Vasilevsky is obviously very, you know, a, a very much more talented goalie than Darcy Kemper is obviously. And he's the goalie for the avalanche. He's gotten them here. He's, he's, you know, he's had shutouts when he needed to, but I think that 
he's had a little bit of slack because if the Avalanche are putting up seven goals a game, the, you know, the other team is going to have to score eight to beat them. Like you can let up a couple goals and it won't really matter because your offense is going to do so well. Right. So, so that's kind of the, I think the biggest matchup as we see, uh, or, or that we'll kind of be able to see in the, uh, in, in the Stanley cup finals coming up this week. So, yeah, that's my take on it. I think it's just really going to it's really going to come down to there's a lot of pressure on Vassy uh, in this series, because if he's able to stop the, uh, you know, the oncoming onslaught of of the of the avalanche and, you know, their attackers and everything and and, and kind of slow down the tempo, lightning are going to be able to get some chances and they can, you know, they can put up some points as well on Darcy Kemper. I just I don't I don't know if it's going to be enough. And I think kind of, you know, I'm kind of just supplementing Hayden's argument that, you know, I, I do think that the avalanche will probably uh, end up winning this series. All right, there you go. There's our predictions. You got it in the books. Now we just got to wait for it to happen. I don't know. I, I, I hope for, I hope for a good series. I hope it's, you know, six or seven games at this point. And again, you can call me crazy or stupid for thinking that these games or that these series are rigged in any way. I don't think that they're, I don't think that the winner is really rigged. I do think though that for TV viewings and I guess plain money at this point, uh, the the final series do like they're they're basically not going to go below six games at this point. I think that you're going to have a guaranteed six game six or game seven in any final series, Stanley Cup, you know, NBA Finals, World Series, pretty much anything. You're not going to really have anything under than six um, at this point. I don't know. It's just for TV ratings and and for money purposes, you're. I think that it's probably rigged in some way for that, but I don't know. We'll see. But uh, moving on to NFL here. It's getting to be about that time. Football season is right around the corner, sort of. Obviously, like I said in the in the beginning of the episode, we're still about two months out, but doesn't matter. Let's do a little segment here where we give we each give our predicted Super Bowl teams champions and then one team from each conference that we are most unsure about. And so what I mean by unsure is that they could either go off and they could do really well and we wouldn't be surprised, but then they could also suck or be very mediocre. And we also wouldn't be surprised by that either. So it's kind of a team that could go either way, either down in the dumps or could do very well and make a playoff run or something like that. And we wouldn't be surprised in either situation. I'm going to hand it over to, to Matt here to do his first picks because I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see what Matt has as his picks here. And then I'm going to do mine. I'm going to see if we have any matched up. If, if we do have any of the same ones, I'm not going to change mine. But, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there now so you guys know that I'm not just doing something different just because I want variability in the podcast. So, Matt, go ahead. Dude, it's football. I love talking about football. We all love hearing about football. We love talking about football amongst ourselves, with our friends, with our families. It's a it's a great time uh, to be talking about football, especially because it's the middle of June and football is still like three months away. So we got to do something, right? We got We got to put it in here somewhere, and we're gonna be talking about who wins the Super Bowl. And we don't actually, we actually are kind of, we, we spent a while on the NBA and the NHL. So we're, we're going to, we're going to get right to the point here. My Super Bowl champion, they're running it back, baby. The LA Rams, dude, te- seriously, seriously, 
I don't know what they're, I don't know what magic they're playing with their cap situation right now, but they keep signing their players. They keep shelling out money and they keep signing more players who are better, who are going to make the team better overall. Seriously. I mean, in the last week, they obviously signed Aaron Donald to, to the highest paid defensive player contract in the NFL, in NFL history. They gave Cooper cup a like hundred million, hundred ten, like three years, $110 million deal. So they're basically paying quarterback money for Aaron Donald and Cooper cup. Where's that going to go? Or where's that going to come out of? Who knows? Luxury tax? I don't know. But they're all in on it, and I love it. Oh, also, you get you lose Robert Woods. Ah, Robert Woods, he goes to the Titans. You know, he was, he was a very integral part of the team last year. He was only actually part of the team for like four or five weeks or whatever. And then who do you sign? Oh, right. You sign Allen Robinson from the Bears. Now, Allen Robinson has clearly not been able to shine to his full potential. But he's one of those guys, and this is how you know that he's a legit wide receiver. He's one of those guys, despite all the troubles with the quarterbacks and the offensive line and the defense and all the coaching crazy situations that have been going on forever since he's been with the Bears, he has still performed. I think he's every year that he's been with the Bears, but I think it's like three or four years now, he's had over a 1,000 receiving yards. That's one of those things that, like, you declare like, oh my gosh, this guy has made it. He had a really great season because he got over a thousand yards. Now, obviously some of that is adjusted because now there's a lot more passing in the NFL. So there's a lot more guys that are getting over a thousand yards receiving, but to be on a team like the bears and still be consistently getting over a thousand yards, that means you are legit. He's one of those guys. You can just throw it up and he can go get it. And are you kidding me? We're adding that to Cooper cup and Odell Beckham jr. Come on, dude. So and obviously they didn't lose anybody on defense or offense. Like you, you literally had still have Jalen Ramsey. You still have, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name that the other, that linebacker, that cornerback, that defensive. T- I mean, they had everybody. Von Miller's well, actually Von Miller, they traded Von Miller, but like Von Miller's not going to hold you back from winning a Super Bowl. I think the Rams are going to run it back too, because like, and it's smart because seriously, as we talked about however many times they said, you know, we're not going to care about the draft right? The picks don't matter. We're going to sign, you know, veteran proven NFL talent. We're going to win the Super Bowl right now. We're going to figure out the money situation later because this is the window. And I completely agree. And they're going all in on it, right? Because the hardest thing to do in sports is win a Super Bowl back to back. And I just, again, it's, it's almost like I kind of, it's like a cop-out answer to it now that I'm kind of thinking of it. But at the same time, the Rams are like the fifth highest odds to win this. Like they are not favored at all to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I, that's kind of, I was like, I wanted to come on here and give an underdog pick, but then it's like, well, they just won it. So it's not really like an underdog, but I think that despite how hard it is to, 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 you know, to win two straight championships in the NFL, I think the Rams are be able are going to be able to do it because they have a better team than last year. They have a better team than last year. The division got worse because Seattle lost Russell Wilson. You know, the, the, obviously, um, you know, the, the, the Cardinals are dealing with their own mess with Kyler Murray. The 49ers don't even know who their quarterback is going to be. Give me Jimmy Garoppolo or, or, um, or, uh, Lance. yeah. Cool. I couldn't even remember his name because I don't really care that much because they're not going to be good. All right. So yeah, I, I, I am all in on the Rams this season. I'm probably, you know what, I'm probably going to bet it tonight. I'm like, dude, why not? Cause their odds are only going to get shorter once the season starts and they start like, you know, eight, no, um, in terms of the team they play from the AFC, I'm going to say the Bills. Everyone's going to say the Bills. But it really is true. Like, they should have gotten there last year. They should have won the Super Bowl last year. Like, you're telling me if you have the Bills and the Rams last year in the Super Bowl, the Rams are going to win that? I don't think so. It would be a close game. It definitely would be. 
But I mean, seriously, and even in the AFC championship, if the Bengals had played the Bills, the Bills definitely would have won that game. So um, for as much as, you know, kind of, you know, overhyping as they get, they definitely deserve to be there. And they're another team. They're not going to lose anybody. They're only going to get better. And I think that, you know, they, they will have, they will be the class of the AFC this year. The two, you know, the, the highest, super, the favorites to win the Super Bowl, essentially from the betting odds right now are the Bills and the Chiefs. And, I, and again, I am I am a Chiefs. I love the Chiefs because I, I just love to watch the offense and everything that Patrick Mahomes done. It's just it's just magic. But losing Tyreek Hill, dude, I can't get over that. I'm like, yeah. you got you can't replace a guy like that. So right, if you know if the Rams had gotten rid of Cooper Cup or you know they had let Aaron Donald retire or something, I would not be picking them to win the Super Bowl right now because those guys are so important to the team. But I, losing a guy like Tyree Hill, I, I just can't, you can't look past that, um, you know, when you're, when you're predicting teams to, uh, to get there. So I think that the, you know, the Bills and the Rams are going to be my, my teams that win the Super Bowl. And I mean, this time I think the Rams are better. I think they can beat the Bills. I'm going to say it happens. Um, it'll be really cool to look back on this and see if, see if we're actually right. Obviously that'll be like, almost a year from now. So it's very, very, very long time away. Um, so Hayden will now give his uh, Super Bowl winner as well as his Super Bowl matchup. And then we're each going to come, come back around and give a team that we think can, can kind of, kind of cause, kind of cause some craziness here as we go through the season. righty. Well, I'm going to go with the, I guess the, the most favored pick and that, that is the bills. I think the bills are going to win. They, they have to at this point. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's almost kind of like a, kind of like an avalanche situation with, in, you know, in the NFL where the Bills basically deserve to win the Super Bowl at this point, and I, they deserve it more than anybody else at this point. The Chiefs already have one under their under their belt, whatever. Tom Brady already has one in, in, uh, in Tampa Bay, so that's fine. And at this point, yeah, I mean, Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford have their Super Bowl now in, in L.A., so... I think now's the time that Josh Allen steps up. Well, he he stepped up already, but he kind of is exalted as basically the best quarterback in terms of all-around skill set in the NFL. I think he already is. I think Josh, I mean, you could argue that Patrick Mahomes is is better in terms of throw again, I need to see Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. I I've said it so many times and it's kind of a it's kind of a mainstream take i guess but i think people i think patrick mahomes without tyreek hill might be a little bit overrated i'm not i'm that that might be a little bit of a hot take here but i do think that in terms of quarter size skill set just what josh allen is able to create on the field what how he's able to run run over line i mean literally just truck linebackers and cornerbacks left and right and the the way he's able to throw the ball you know the way he's able to how far he's able to throw, how accurate he is at this point. It's just, he is the best all around quarterback in the NFL. And I don't want to hear anything else about it. So at this point, the bills deserve their super bowl. And I think they're going to win it. They have a great defense. Uh, they got, I mean, they got Von Miller, right? So yeah. So <laughs> they, so, I mean, if you want to talk about, that would be crazy though. If Von Miller won a one with the Rams and then went to Buffalo and won one with them, that'd be pretty. Well, cool. he also won one with the Broncos and he was a yeah. Super Bowl MVP for that one. Yeah, exactly. So he would be. Well, I think he's already a solidified Hall of Famer. If you, dude, if you win a Super Bowl MVP, I think you should like automatically be. And that's that was like your only year, or your only good year, I guess. But yeah, those are my champion. I've got them playing against the Rams, so we have the same. 
We had the same Super Bowl here. I guarantee you that we won't have the same, I guess, uh, teams that we're unsure about. I think mine are, are pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty excited to give them here. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Rams as my other, my other Super Bowl team in the NFC. Like Matt said, they've just beefed up their team even more. They lost Von Miller, but that's kind of whatever at this point. So, yeah, they're going to they're gonna return to the Super Bowl. But I do think that the Bills are going to be able to edge them out just because of the the way that the Rams played in the Super Bowl this past year. And like we we always say it, they, you know, Super Bowl teams are always start off slow and they kind of run the ball a lot and they are a little bit timid in terms of playing like they usually do or playing you know, in a way that would score the quickest. I don't think that the Bills will do that at all. I think the Bills are the one team that would go out in the Super Bowl and just start throwing the ball like 30 times in the first half. So that's uh, that's where I'm going with my Super Bowl champion and Super Bowl matchup. Matt, go ahead with your NFC and AFC teams that you're unsure about this year. Yeah, so we're defining the unsure teams as basically a team that could go off and be – in the playoffs, deep in the playoffs, and we wouldn't be surprised about that. Or they could also suck and be completely mediocre and miss the playoffs. And we wouldn't also, we also wouldn't be surprised uh, with that situation either. So my team from the NFC is going to be the Eagles. Um, It's I, they have a lot of hype and I think for good reason, right? I mean, obviously Jalen Hurts is improving. He's, he's good. I think he's, he's a lot better than people think. Um, They obviously, now they have A.J. Brown. Like, they did a lot in the draft with, obviously, Jordan Davis as well. Um, the receiver core is better because it was horrible uh, in past years. Um, their style of offense can be very interesting because they have one of the best offensive lines in the league. They just didn't run the ball for whatever for the first, like, half the season last year. Then, you know, Nick Sirianni was basically like, all right, hey, guys, uh, Philadelphia fans, we're actually going to listen to you. We're going to run the ball. And then they, like, went off and to end the regular season. Um, they made the playoffs and then got absolutely throttled by the Bucks in the first game. But anyway, I think similarly to this year, I could see, like, the Eagles being really good. You just run the ball. You play good defense. You have some, you know, some really great talent on the outside. Like, it could really happen, especially with how dynamic of a quarterback that Jalen Hurts is. Um, so that's going to be my team from the a- NFC. And then the AFC – this is more of a, I think, a potential team. Like, a, like, I, like, I'm expecting them to have high potential. Is the Ravens? I like they're, I, they could, they could be the number one seed in the AFC, like, very easily. And I'm gonna tell you why. Apparently, I was, I've been like, I've been, guys, I've been doing deep dive stats. I've already been betting the season win totals. You know where you, you know where to come when you for your for your NFL preseason information. The Ravens this past season, which again. They made the playoffs. Mar Jackson had a good year. They were, you know, they weren't as great as they were expected to be. They lost, you know, whatever. So the Ravens in this past season had like statistically the most injured team, I think since like the, in, in the last like 30 or 40 years for the amount of like starters and back and like players that would have like played the most snaps on the team they had the most injured team for in, in like almost the hit, like the history of like the last, you know, ever since like there was a play clock on the field, like it's just like crazy stuff, how injured they were. And, and you didn't really notice it because, you know, you, you, they kind of just had plug and play guys, the, the system that they use and John Harbaugh, he, he has that team playing together. Lest we forget as well, Tyler Huntley basically played half a season, almost single-handedly beat the Packers at home against Aaron Rodgers. I mean, all that stuff, right? So now you get the entire team back. 
all three running backs who had season, who you know suffered season-ending injuries in training camp last year, they're all going to be back. The defense is going to be back. Jimmy Ward's going to be back. Like all these guys. So I think the Ravens are are really like a dark horse contender here. And I mean, would I be surprised if they kind of fall off and like, you know, Lamar just doesn't really have a great season or they can't find, they're going to need pass catchers. That's, that's definitely one thing. Um, and yeah. that could be, that could be to their detriment. So that's, I think one area where, you know, and, and if the defense isn't up to snuff, they also play in a tough division. You got to play the Steelers, the Bengals and the Browns, you know, half the half your games. That's pretty tough. So I think I could see it going either way, but I definitely have more optimism for the Ravens than I do the Eagles, but you know, th- those are my, those are each of my teams that I think I'm, I'm a little bit unsure about optimism side, but also, you know, I, I could definitely see it all falling apart at the same time. All right. So we got one of the same teams and then the other one is not the same. So I'm going to go with the same one first because it's got to save the best for last. So the first one is the Eagles. I had the Eagles for the NFC as well. I was thinking about it actually yesterday when I made, when I wrote up this topic and I was like, dude, who, like who, who am I going to watch on TV and say, okay, they kind of sucked last season, but this season, all of a sudden they're super good. And I'm not really surprised. Like why, what team would fit that? And the Eagles just popped into mind. So yeah, Matt kind of put it perfectly. The Eagles have one of the best offensive lines in the league. And again, like Matt said, they didn't run the ball for the first half of the season last season, but that was just pretty much bad coaching. I think I've I've been saying that Jalen Hurts, I mean, Jalen Hurts is my favorite college player ever. And so he's one of my favorite NFL players by now, but he needs to get it together. He needs to show this season again with with A.J. Brown at, you know, at wide receiver and with that wide receiver core kind of beefed up at least a little bit. He needs to show that he can get it done. I think he has. I mean, you've got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. If you if you can't get something to work with that with that receiving core and with a good offensive line, then they've probably got to look out elsewhere for being honest, but yeah, they've got a, they've got a a great offensive line, great offense altogether. It's just, I think their defense is probably the more questionable thing, but their defense is still pretty good too. So I think they've still, they still got Darius Slay back there and Fletcher Cox and those guys. So yeah, I think that they will be good um, this season, but again, if they fall apart, it's kind of going to be one of those things. It's like, well, you know, it's just Jalen Hurts. He's not the answer. I, I think that's what people are going to resort to. That's probably what I'm going to resort to if I see them s- sort of crumble this season. But yeah. And then going on to the AFC, my AFC team is the Colts. I think the Colts, like the Colts could either, either be really, really good or really, really bad. Like Matt Ryan is either going to be the answer or he's just going to suck even well, he's just going to continue sucking because he hasn't really done much the past few seasons. Ever since that Super Bowl loss against the Patriots, you know, that comeback win with the Patriots, I mean, he hasn't really been anything. So, yeah, he had that one MVP season, and then he dropped off after that. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the Colts. I think the rest of the Colts team is really, really good. I mean, they obviously they've got Jonathan Taylor, one of the best backs in the league. They've also got one of the best offensive lines in the league, and – they've got a really good defense as well. I mean, they've, I think they've got like pretty much one of the best secondaries. Um, You know, obviously they've got, what's his name? Dang it. Oh, Darius Leonard. They've got Darius Leonard as well. So their defense, I think their defense hasn't really changed much recently. They've kind of just been the same. And so their defense has has performed well recently too. And, you know, in, in recent years, it's just that their offense can't really get it going, but they've got, Michael Pittman out there. Um, they've 
I think they they got another receiver too, but I forget. I think they got a receiver out of the draft or something like that, but I don't know. But yeah, I, th- I think their offense is is kind of what needs to be, or kind of the the thing in question here. And if they do go off and they do have a really good season, I would not be surprised at all. But again, they're the Colts, so they probably will mess something up, um, such as not getting to the playoffs last year because they got beat by Jacksonville in the last week. That might happen again. So we'll we'll just have to see here. But yeah, that about wraps it up for the NFL topic that we have. Now, Matt, do you want to get started with U.S. Open stuff, or are we? Yeah, um, yeah, I... yeah. No, I, I really like your uh, your uh, your submission there. I think the Colts are probably a better answer than the Ravens. I was saying more. I think definitely like hype wise, like I'm very high on the Ravens, and I think that just like nobody understood how absolutely decimated they were last year. So I think they're just going to be better than a lot of people are expecting. But the Colts, I could also see it completely falling apart. Yeah, I do I... think they're. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the I think the the mainstream answer would have been the Dolphins. Like the, that was the first team that I thought of when I thought of the AFC. I was like, oh, Dolphins, because they have Tyreek Hill. They have, you know, Tua, who's kind of in question. And then their defense is really good, too. But but yeah, then I thought of the Colts and I was like, OK, that's, that's a better answer. So. Well, I think it's a better answer because I think Tua sucks and I don't think the Dolphins are going to do anything. Yeah. But anyway, uh, another topic for another day. Yeah, I think that finally, though, Matt Ryan has some has some legit players around him and he hasn't ever yeah. since you know that that run with yeah. the falcons i think he carried the falcons with that too like i think he was a big part of that um and so the colts are trying their luck with another thir- a third now veteran quarterback to just slot in and hopefully they can you know they can make a deep run because they have literally all the other pieces imagine if andrew luck was still playing with this team oh my god dude, dude be crazy. dynasty it's insane yeah. like he just left the game and now they're like oh we got to get philip rivers oh he kind of sucked and he retired okay carson wins wait he was even worse and now they have to try matt ryan which yeah pretty good option but again he's old and his arm might be shot but if you have the you know if you have the support of jonathan taylor really anything can be can uh can can work there so u.s open talk i'll make it quick because you know the podcast is already going a little bit long so um, the U.S. Open starts this Thursday, being played in at the, at Brookline, which is a course uh, belonging to it's a country club, which is a, a country club, which is called the Country Club. It's in Boston. It's one of those like very howdy towdy areas uh, of, uh, of of the of the New England area. Um, and yes, it's a very but it's a famous course. It's a really cool course. It's it's a little bit quirky. Um, so you're gonna see a lot of like the you're gonna see very wide fairways and narrow greens um it's going to be tough to shoot out of the rough the 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 rough is going to be like three or i think even longer than three inches long um and and realistically the you know the chances that you you know hit your greens and regulation all that stuff is is pretty low um and and so that's kind of going to be the test this week for the u.s open and it's not necessarily like last year we had tory pines which essentially just everything's out in front of you you can smash the ball you can hit your draw your fade whatever you want you'll probably still be in the fairway just chip drive and, and, and put your way to victory. And John Rom did just that. Um, this, this year is definitely gonna be a little different. So it, it's going to be, I mean, I, I still think, uh, you know, a, a, a big name is going to win just because it, it kind of, it always kind of ends up that way. I think, I think the stat is like the last, um, the last eight or 10 us open champions, the average, like 
world ranking is is like is like 17 or something so um so so there's probably going to be a big name that wins it which is cool that's good for golf right i mean you know one of these one of these bigger guys uh you know winning uh winning a major obviously we had jt win the pga and that was you know kind of in the, in the same vein there um so you know in terms of guys that are kind of going to be you know near the near the top to win i a guy like john rom i don't think he'll repeat i think just his game is a little bit it's it's a little bit it's a little bit all over the place for for a course like Brookline Cam Smith same way he sprays it all off you know he sprays it off the tee you, you never really know which way his ball is going he's an amazing you know around the green and and, and putter but that won't really come into play because you know if it, nobody's really going to be hitting the greens anyway so um, you know when it when it comes to the to your short game it's important like your scrambling is very important but in terms of just like making your forty foot putts there's just not going to be that many opportunities so you know guys like that I, I don't think will do very well so you. You want your long and your straight hitters. Um, you know, good examples of that. You have obviously your your Jordan Spieth, your Patrick Cantlay's, like all those guys who you know who just hit it long and straight, but also kind of have that aspect of the game where you know, hey, this this you know, there's a there's a dog or a dog leg left. We're gonna have to you know we're gonna have to find a way around this. We're gonna have to do some plotting uh, you know around the course. That's gonna come into play a lot too here. So you want to get your strategic guys too. Uh, you're gonna see a lot of that kind of you know able to to manipulate your game a little bit to to you know. Know, maybe maybe lay up on some holes maybe you know maybe overshoot the green on some holes based on the the angle of the green and whatever so i'm excited for it obviously it's going to be you know it's 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 a golf major it's very exciting it's the middle of summer it's the best time to do it the, the final round of the u.s open is on on father's day a day before a federal holiday on monday so it's kind of the perfect timing and, and everything for this to happen um and and so yeah so i think I'm, i think it's you know, I, I think it's going to be good. Um, and, and just, I, I just hope the coverage is good. It's going to be a little weird. And I, I hate this about the, cause again, the, the majors aren't associated with the PGA tour. The PGA tours coverage is also kind of bad, but whatever, at least it's on CBS at 3 PM on Saturday and Sunday, every single, every single week, the coverage this week is horrible. It's like, it's like from 6am to 9am on, you know, Thursday and Friday, it's on Peacock. And then like 10am to 12 noon is going to be on usa like the channel usa and then like 1 p.m or 12 p.m to like 4 p.m is on regular nbc and then they're kicking it over to like peacock for the other thing it's like there's all it's on like five different channels every day and it's like come on can we just get like some normal coverage like or do something like the masters and just have it free for everyone um no no one's ever going to touch the masters in that aspect but Either way, um, it'll be on. It, it'll be it'll be fun to watch, and it'll be cool to see kind of you know who comes out on top. Like you know, right? Is Scotty Scheffler going to be able to like complete one of the best seasons in the you know golf history if he wins his second major? Um, obviously, JT is coming off his big win at the PGA. I don't think this course necessarily fits his game too well. Um, but and then you obviously have Colin Morikawa coming off of. I mean, he's won like almost half the majors that he's played in at this point. Um, and, and he's, you know, the best iron player in the world. So when he gets in those tough lies in the rough, he'll be able to, you know, he'll be able to get up and down and, 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 you know, put it on the green and in good places. So um, I I'm really looking forward to see who can, who can take it home. But I do think that if, if there is a U.S. open to have a player from like way down in the rankings to win, I think it could be here as well. Um, you know, you're because just because of kind of how weird and quirky the, the course is set up to be, weather isn't supposed to be an issue, which usually is. Um, so that'll be good. At least it will kind of just be like, a, you know, a true winner and, and not one person is kind of, you know, 
is, is just randomly doing well because they got a good draw in the morning or the afternoon tea. Right. So, um, so yeah, so, so we'll do obviously, you know, a, a kind of a post game on our, uh, on our, on our show next week to kind of just, you know, obviously, cause we're going to be watching it this week. So yeah. So, so that's my, that's my U S open preview. We also have a formula one race, Canada, Montreal circuit, Gilles Villeneuve. Yes. So, um, yeah, there's a ton of sports this weekend. It's father's day. Um, and, and I think, you know, obviously after all we, that we talked about and, I mean, not to mention next time we got on here, the finals might be over. The NBA finals might be over and we'll have the first game played of the NHL Stanley Cup finals. Yes. So there's just, there's just so much going on and people say, Oh, it's not football season. Obviously we talked about football in the podcast today, but there are so many other things to go on that are, that are going on for you to watch and to be into. And we're providing you with all the information that you need to be able to watch it, talk about it with your friends, with your family. Um, because I will have the TV on 24 seven this coming weekend. And, you know, basically, for the next few weeks uh, until we kind of get into the really, really stretch or the really bad stretch of the summer where it's only baseball, but baseball becoming on Sunday. Hayden, you got to do it. Yeah. Well, when do we not have the TV on for 24 hours a day? That's, that's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's just who we are, but that about wraps it up for the episode. I'm not even really going to comment on the U S open stuff because again, we're kind of running over time here and well, not really running over time. We don't really care how long we go, but this one's this one's also going to take a lot of editing. I if you're listening to this and you think it's been a very good episode so far, uh, there's been a couple hiccups just to just to let you know. But hopefully my editing job is is pretty good. So yeah. I also, if you're listening, Robinson's name. So you know, there's one. Yeah. Well, I've messed up far more than Matt this episode. So, all right. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna be so. All right. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. That's gonna gonna wrap it up also if you're still listening to this you're very loved Let's go. because yeah i bet share no us on your social media please <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway um yeah i hope you guys enjoyed the episode we're gonna be back on saturday most likely for another episode and like matt said we're most likely gonna have a lot to talk about there hopefully the nba finals will be done well actually hopefully not because i'm rooting for the celtics so Hopefully it will not be done by then and we can talk about game seven, which will probably happen on Sunday. Well, no, probably like Monday if it's yeah, if if game six is on Thursday and there is a game seven, it'll probably be on the next Monday. I don't know. Something like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for the episode. You guys enjoyed and we'll catch you on Saturday.